This episode of First Line is sponsored by TrueLearn. TrueLearn is an exam prep company best known for their smart banks that turn your weak areas into your strengths. Each TrueLearn smart bank practice question has detailed answer explanations and succinct bottom lines to get the big learning takeaway. For my listeners taking the USMLE, TrueLearn also has an amazing USMLE smart bank. If you are in your third year, TrueLearn also offers smart banks for shelf exams and comat shelf exams. Go to truelearn.com and use one of my special discount codes for up to $35 off your subscription. Special discount codes can be found in the episode description. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and this is First Line. Here to bring listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness. Through an osteopathic lens, First Line covers tangible ways to improve your health, hot topics in healthcare, the journey to becoming a physician, mental health, relationships, and even philosophy, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. This episode is mostly for second year students in medical school, whether you are at a DO school or an MD school. If you are a first year student about to start your second year, then I encourage you to listen to my episode entitled How to Study for Comlex Level 1 and USMLE Step 1. And that's a good place to start for anybody because that is a more broad picture about how second year, the full school year goes as far as what to do in the fall semester and what to do in the spring semester and then a little bit about what to do in dedicated. But this episode is specifically zoomed in on that dedicated portion after you are done your schoolwork for the year after second year. And before you take step one or level one of your board exams, dedicated studying in itself needs its own episode. And I wanted to provide a little bit more information with that. So the big picture here, you want to aim for 10,000 questions that can count the questions that you do throughout the year. You don't have to get through all 10,000 during dedicated but you're probably looking at at least half of that that you still have to complete. So you want to get to that 10,000 mark, and that has been considered across the board by many students to be the number of questions that you can be pretty confident that you're going to pass. That is what we're looking at here now. If you are now taking level one or step one, it is pass-fail. So you're looking to get a pass. But I see a lot of students underestimating the test because of that. They think that they've been a good student all year, they've been passing all of their exams, so why would they not then also pass their board exam? Well, the board exams, they're set up to have easier questions and then more difficult questions so that you get a range of scores so that the minimum is lower and the maximum is higher and you have more spread of the scores. So two students that have very similar academics that have been getting around the same scores all year will have different scores because there's more variation in the difficulty of the questions so that 
almost all students get different number correct and then you get a widespread of scores. And this is meant to differentiate and this has been used for a long time. And none of that is really changing. It's just that there is now a threshold set so that people above this number pass and people below this number fail. But the rigor of the test is still there. And I know people every year that study their butts off and do well throughout the year. They've they've passed their first year, they've passed their second year. Even with a numerical score, they still fail, even though they took dedicated period seriously and this was when there was a three number score where they have an incentive to do better do better do better because that will make them more competitive for residencies now that push to really do your best isn't there anymore but that kind of rigor that you need to study for the exam in order to even pass is still there so I don't want you to think that you don't have to put in the same amount of studying that students that have gone before you have because you absolutely do it's just that you don't have to worry as much once you get past that pass that you won't be competitive for your specialty and you don't have to rule any specialties out based off of the performance of this test however I would argue that the consequences for having a failed board exam are even greater now because it is pass-fail and because a failure now means that you underestimated the test and you didn't put in the work that you needed to. It's really unfortunate if you're listening to this in the year that it came out, which is 2022. It's really unfortunate for this class because you are the guinea pigs for (laughs) this new policy because you don't have the year before to learn from. Obviously, I'm from the year prior to you, so you can learn from me and I'm trying to help as much as possible, but I had a three-digit score, so I can only speak to what I did. I did well on both of them, but I don't know what it feels like to have the pass or fail and to have that as my motivation because I had the three-digit score as my motivation, and I knew that if I worked harder, I would get a higher score. Whereas now it's very different because let's say you knew you were going to pass. Well, now you don't have any incentive to do a better pass because there is no better pass. It's just still pass. So if you knew 100% that you were going to pass, then why would you give in that extra effort to get a higher pass if no one will know about it other than, you know, doing better on your clinical rotations? But if you weren't sure that you were going to 100% pass, well, then you still want to work hard. And that's really the point that I want to get across. You can almost think about it as preparation for how you're going to study for level two and step two next year, because that's really going to be the test that decides whether you can do your specialty of choice. That's going to be the test to decide if you are competitive for certain programs that are on the top of your list. So, Obviously, you can know from the result of your test. Yes, if you pass, that's a good indicator, but 
you'll know how you're doing questions and how much percent right you're getting and your percentiles on your different question banks. Like I know TrueLearn is a good example. They will give you your percentile on how you compare to your peers taking the same question bank questions. It's really just practice and also during dedicated to make sure that you can really study all day and that you can build up that stamina. In the pass-fail atmosphere, the point is so that you don't overwork yourself and you don't feel the need to give up hours of sleep and you don't feel the need to not exercise. I think now it is more possible to stay sane and to preserve your mental health and to take care of yourself while studying, but all of that studying should still be there. You shouldn't be taking vacation and not studying for a week or two weeks. That is not the point, but you can study every day. You can study for hours and hours a day, but still make sure that you get eight to nine hours of sleep, still get a half hour to an hour of exercise a day, have three meals a day, cook yourself healthy meals. So you can have a healthier lifestyle, but that rigor of studying is still going to be there. You just don't have to drive yourself crazy like people have in the past if they wanted to do something like neurosurgery. So I want to go back to the percentiles on different question banks. So TrueLearn has this, and I think if you are deciding whether you are competitive for a certain specialty, you can look at this ahead of time before waiting to do step two because in third year that's really when you want to decide what specialties you're going to apply to. I would say look at your percentiles across whatever question banks you're using. You can plug in the percentiles to give you either a COMLEX score or a USMLE score and use those scores against the NRMP data that you can just google NRMP main residency match data. I'm pulling it up right now so I can tell you exactly what to click on. If you scroll down to charting outcomes in the match, either senior students of USDO medical schools or USMD medical schools, it will come up with some charts and I'm looking at from 2021 because 2022 didn't come out yet, but on 2021, it says chart seven would be like the level two COMLEX scores. So let's say that for the question banks you're doing for COMLEX level one, you'll stay at the same percentile for COMLEX level two, saying that you're using the same study techniques that you are, that you use the same ones next year. And let's say that when you put in your percentile, the score that you got was 600, let's say, which is a really great score. So 600 would put you in the categories of being able to match into anesthesiology, child neurology, you're a little bit below for dermatology. So if that was top of your list, maybe consider dual applying for another specialty along with it, or maybe think about, okay, if I don't do dermatology, is there something else I want to explore during third year? Because maybe dermatology is out of reach for me. But then it's in the range for radiology, emergency medicine. It's actually above the range for family medicine. So family medicine would be a specialty that you are very likely to match into. So this is just an example 
and that's something that you can use. Obviously, it's a very rough estimate, but it's just using those percentiles to your advantage. So that's why I really recommend using a question bank like TrueLearn, which is our sponsor. And that's who I've used these past two years. I've fallen at a pretty similar percentile on my actual exams as I have on taking TrueLearn questions, more than any other question bank that I've used. Also, it's important to know what percentile is the passing score for complex level one a passing score if we're looking at three digit numbers is a 400 and that percentile is six percent which seems very low but you have to acknowledge that that means that six percent of students that take complex level one are going to fail and then for USMLE a passing score was previously a 196 and that percentile somewhere between three and five percent so even lower so that means more students pass even if their percentiles are a little bit lower so if we're using five percent then that means about one in 20 students are going to fail the USMLE step one so does that mean that when I'm looking at my percentiles on my different question banks that if I'm anything above 6%, then I'm good to pass, right? Well, not necessarily because there is variations between each test. So if you go back to, let's say, a 40 question question set for your question bank of choice, are you always above that 6%? If you are, then that's a really good sign, but you really only need one of those to be below 6%. And if that was your exam, then you would fail. So to be super confident that you're going to pass, you want to consistently be above that 6%. So I would say if you're anywhere below 25%, then you need to up your game. Because I think most people will dip in their actual exam. So if you are at the 25 percentile and then you dip, if you dip a lot, then you could, there is a risk of you going beneath that threshold. I mean, 25 percent of people are going to be at the 25th percentile, but that means to you that maybe you have to do more to be competitive based off of your peers that might start out in a little bit of a higher place. If you want to go into a less competitive specialty, then maybe that's an okay place for you to be and you can make up for it in other parts of your application. But what I'm really getting at is that it's going to indicate where you're ending up for level two and step two, because if you are tracking at the 25th percentile, you can probably expect to track at that percentile for next year too, unless you start doing something different. And starting something different really needs to start now because you have to build up habits that can continue on during third year. Third year is a different type of stressor. It's not as much stressful at spending hours and hours in lecture halls and then studying through PowerPoints and watching videos and doing practice questions. It is more a full-time job plus needing to study every night at home too. So that's going to be in its own conversation for that but that is just to say that if you want to have good habits those good habits really have to start now so 
if you are in dedicated, you likely already have question banks that you're subscribed to. Maybe you went through all of the questions that you had in a previous bank that you had. Maybe you need to buy an extra one. I would probably recommend TrueLearn if you're not using them already for Comlex or USMLE. But there are other ones too, and I'm not going to recommend any in particular. I think it is worthwhile to calculate how many questions are in each of these and adding them up and making sure that you're hitting 10,000. Again, you can count the questions that you did previously in the year. And a lot of students use first aid. As far as textbooks go, besides first aid, I see a lot of students referring to Robbins. As far as scheduling study time, this is the order that I used when I was in dedicated studying. I would wake up and have a cup of coffee while I do Anki cards. I use the Zanki deck, which is free. You can look it up on Reddit. And for that, there is a lot of cards in the deck, especially if you're just starting it during dedicated. That is a huge feat to take on. If you are at a point where you won't be able to keep up with your reviews, I would prioritize at least seeing every card once because those cards are just things that you just need to know and need to have memorized and you need to at least see them once. They're just high yield points that you just want to look at all the cards. You really do. If you can build in those reviews, which means that you'll see cards a second, third, fourth time, then that's really great. But I wouldn't spend all day every day just doing cards if it's going to take you that long. I would say maybe two hours is a good place to be at. Uh, just two hours in the morning kind of to get your mind awake before you go into doing questions. But I probably went above two hours some days to do that. Be flexible with your study time. Sometimes I get to a point where I cannot look at another question. I'm just getting tired. Yeah, I could push myself through it, but it probably wouldn't be worth my time to do that. So then I'll just switch over to maybe doing Anki cards again because it's a little bit more simpler. It's a lot of pattern recognition and doesn't take as much brain power to read through question stems. So maybe you do have to do that some days and that's totally fine. Other days I could be doing Anki cards and I could kind of get bored by it. So I want the extra challenge of doing questions and then I'll just switch over to doing questions. So it doesn't have to be as regimented as I might be making it seem right now, kind of going through what I did because I would often deviate from this myself. So after that, I would typically go through questions. So I had several question banks. One of them was TrueLearn. I really calculated how many questions I had left of each of the sources and I divided by the number of days left of dedicated that I had. And my goal was to reach and do all of these questions. Did I complete them all? For TrueLearn, yeah, I did all of them because I prioritized that question bank, but for my second question bank, I did not get through all of them. It's a number to aim for, so I would aim for that number each day. Of course, I would take breaks. During those breaks, I would either make myself a meal, and usually when I would eat breakfast or lunch, I would watch 
a video from one of my video sources that I used to give myself a little bit more studying and kind of more relaxed studying, which kind of felt like a break to me between question sets. Otherwise, I would exercise for about an hour each day, sometimes more. That was a break too. A lot of times I would listen to a podcast that is medically related in some way. Other times I would take a break to play some video games, but that wouldn't be any longer than like an hour. What I liked about TrueLearn was that for all question explanations for level one, they had first aid page numbers that you could refer to. So I would do a question set in like timed mode kind of simulate a real testing situation and then when I went through all of them I would take notes on the ones that I would get incorrect and I would look at the first aid page numbers that corresponded with that incorrect question and I would highlight things in first aid that I thought were really important. If it was a first aid page that I already highlighted through then I would just look over that page, especially marking up and annotating first aid, maybe adding information from the question stem and explanation that I didn't know. And I would put that together with the rest of the page and make sure that I really understand the concept. So that would basically be my daily schedule. If I got tired from doing practice questions or Anki, I would use some of my video-based resources for a little bit more of a passive learning. Other than that, that was basically my daily schedule. I would also take half-length practice tasks maybe once every two weeks during dedicated, and my dedicated was about six weeks long. I think that's pretty average length. I've seen people take shorter or longer, but I think that was what seemed to work well for me, I could probably make it another week longer. Eight weeks is a little bit too long because you can be burnt out by the time that rolls around and you can find yourself kind of forgetting information. Since I was taking care of myself and I was exercising every day and I was sleeping enough, I could probably go longer without burning out. I took USMLE first and then I took like a week and a half before I then took a Comlex. And I think by the time Comlex came, I may have been forgetting some information that I really reviewed hard during the start of Dedicated because that was around like the six week mark. But I ended up doing better percentile wise on Comlex than USMLE. So I knew that extra week and a half was benefiting me. Um, so that's just important to know if you are someone that you feel like you start really hard and you burn yourself out or if you're someone that does really well with endurance. Try to think back to when you studied for the MCAT to get a good handle on this. If you are taking both USMLE and Comlex, I personally did find it beneficial to study as if I was an MD student before USMLE. So completely ignore OMM and mostly use board prep resources that were USMLE oriented. And then after taking USMLE, then I fully shift gears and I mostly use Comlex resources it's not like the only thing that I was studying was OMM. And I think that was because I didn't need to because I studied the whole second year 
for OMM really well and made sure that it actually understood concepts instead of just memorizing them for the test. So I feel like everything came back to me pretty easily and I could just do complex style questions. I didn't need to strictly study for OMM. Even though I did make sure that I completely went through the whole Savarese Green Book during that week and a half between exams. And then in addition to that, I did download an Anki deck that was OMM oriented, that had Chapman's points and things that aren't going to be in the Safari's Green Book. Having Anki for things like Chapman's points because they are a little bit more straight memorization, I found that really helpful. And also with studying for Comlex, there's a little bit more microbiology and a little bit more ethics questions that come up. So since I was using question bank sources that were strictly for Comlex, such as the TrueLearn ComBank, then I was more familiar with the style of questions. A lot of questions on Comlex will not be OMM questions, like they won't ask you what technique to perform, how to set up a technique, but they will include a Chapman's point in the question stem and it will be something about pancreatitis and they're not asking you anything with OMM, but they are teaching you based off of an OMM finding, an osteopathic structural exam finding that actually helps you answer the question, but it isn't necessary for answering the question. So just getting used to seeing that at the end of a question stem saying that there was a structural exam finding is helpful because you know whether to skim over that if you already know what's going on or to look at that if you need a little bit more guidance, which for me, knowing OMM really helped overall with Comlex. And I think that prioritizing actually knowing and understanding OMM throughout my medical school experience was part of the reason why my Comlex percentile was greater than my USMLE percentile. I think that wasn't the only factor, but it was one of the factors because I used my osteopathic knowledge to my advantage, and that really should be the goal for becoming a doctor. It's using that osteopathic training to your advantage to be a better doctor, and you can use that on exams too. Definitely for the USMLE, being an osteopathic student really helped with the musculoskeletal questions I would get because there would be several of those. Not as much as on Comlex, but still there are questions like that and those were no-brainers for me because we focus so much on that in OMM lab. Don't look at your percentile for each practice exam unless you are getting dangerously close to that lower end like I talked about. Otherwise, you're going to have ups and downs. There's a reason why there's so many questions on these exams and it's not just a 40 question set because they know that there's variation. The more questions you have, the more accurate it is to your actual performance. So take a look at your overall percentage, but don't look too much on the little numbers and stress yourself out too much. If you do have days that you don't hit your minimum question, that you set for yourself in your plan. Don't give yourself too much of a hard time. Also, don't try to force yourself to make up for those questions later on unless you can actually fit it in. If you're compromising anything like sleep or your mental health or 
that hour or two of free time that you give yourself every day. Just start fresh the next day. You want to look for improvement from day to day because that's all you can expect from yourself to do better and better. Try to simulate testing conditions, especially when you do your half length practice exams. Get up at the time that you'll have to get up for the actual exam and that might be really early. Make sure that if you do drink caffeine that you will drink the amount of caffeine that you plan to use and make sure that you can have focus and alertness through that practice exam. And then in the afternoon, it doesn't have to be another practice exam, but at least do question sets as if you are in the testing environment. Look up the breaks that are actually allocated to you and you might know like, okay, I'll probably need to get a little bit more sleep the night before than I did today, or I'll probably need a little bit more caffeine, or maybe I need a bigger breakfast. Maybe you know how much food that you need to pack because gosh, I got hungry during the second half of the exam and I didn't have a big enough lunch or something like that. And I think that's that's really important because you want to be in the best mindset you can and you want to have the energy that you need for that exam because it is a really long day. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Whether you are a second year student going through Dedicated right now or you're a first year student looking ahead a little bit or maybe you're a third year student and you want to refresh on some test preparation tips for when your exam is coming up. I just wanted to say that I hope that you take my advice to heart, especially taking care of yourself through this busy and stressful season. And if you are taking a test soon, I wish you the best of luck.